the, the sinful believers will also end up entering the fire of Jahannam. The sinful Muslims. فَيَقُولُ لَهُمُ الْكُفَارِ the, the, the kufar will tell the sinful Muslims, Allahumma fadna, Alam takunu Muslimin, were you not Muslims? Fayakuluna bala. They will say, yes, we were Muslims. Fayakulunahum, they will say to them, Mada nafa'akum islamukum, what benefit you had from your Islam? What did your Islam do for you? You're still here in the fire of Jahannam. Wa antum ma'ana finnar, you are with us in the fire of Jahannam. Then what will happen? فَيَأْمُرُ رَبُّ جَلَّ وَعَلَىٰ بِإِخْرَاجِ كُلِّ مَنْ كَانَ مُسْلِمًا Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make an announcement and He will bring out from the fire of Jahannam anyone who was a Muslim even had an iota of iman who recited the kalima. فَيَوْخْرَجُونَ مِنَ النَّارِ They will be brought out from the fire of Jahannam. فَحِينَيْذٍ يَوَدُّ الْكُفَارُ لَوْ كَانُوا مُسْلِمِينَ At that point, the disbelievers who are left behind in Jahannam knowing for a certain fact that they will never be able to leave. Whereas those who were with them in the fire of Jahannam, when they were mocking them, they were saying, oh, where's your Islam? How did it benefit you? You know, you're burning as well as, just like we are. They are now leaving. They are granted maghfirah. Allah is entering them into Jannah. And they are left behind. So they will wish from the bottom of their hearts, لَوْ كَانُوا مُسْلِمِينَ We wish we were Muslims. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is the ayah. Rubama, the first ayah, by the way, of the 14th juice. Rubama, Rubama, yawaddu alladheena kafaru. That these who are the kuffar, very um, soon, they will be desiring, they will be wishing, they will be um, lamenting their condition, and they will say, oh, woe unto us, we wish we were Muslims. Dharhum ya'kulu wa yatamatta'u, leave them today, to continue to eat and enjoy the worldly blessings. وَيُلْهِمُ amalu. And their long drawn out plans and ambitions are beguiling them, making them forget about the reality that is tearing in their face, that is coming fast approaching. Very soon they will know, very soon they will see, but it will be unfortunately of no avail for them. This is a reminder for us now. Moving forward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the ayat number 9, We have revealed this Quran, the source of admonition and advice, and we will protect it. Um, so this is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is unique with regards to the divine protection Allah has given it with respect to the previous books Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even the previous heavenly books Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that min they were given the responsibility the rabbis with respect to the Torah and the priest of the, uh, uh, with respect to the Injil and the Zabur to preserve it and protect it but they did not do so. And we know the example I have given uh, Tafsir Qurtabi, he mentioned in Alam Qurtabi mentions in his Tafsir Al Jami' Al Ihkam Al Quran, which is, is commonly known as Tafsir Al Qurtabi, but actual title is Al Jami' Al Ihkam Al Quran. He mentions the story of Mamun Rashid that, do we remember the story I mentioned many times? Oh, I guess maybe I should mention it again because I don't see many people remembering it but any, I'll make it shorter for those who heard it before that Mamun Rashid, he, he loved uh, scholars and, he, and different intellectuals and their gatherings and he himself was a scholar and he would love to participate in those discussions so one day he had a conference of different scientists and philosophers and they came and they presented and there was one philosopher who was very um, eloquent in his speech and very uh, thorough in his research and he did an amazing presentation so Mamun Rashid Ibn Harun Rashid Khalifa Abbasi Abbasid Caliph or Khalifa Abbasi he called him and said wow I want to give you an award because you, you are so phenomenal and I loved your um, 
the way you, how you debated the points and how you argued your position and how you presented your research. Uh, so uh, who are you, where you came from? And, and uh, he was shocked to see that he was not a Muslim. So he said, I'm still going to give you the award because of what you did, but it's very shocking that you're such an intelligent person, you have not accepted Islam. You know, that's, that's uh, very shocking. Maybe you didn't have an opportunity to study, in, but Allah has given you so much intelligence, how can you not be a Muslim? So he just said that and gave him the award and, and let him go. Then uh, two years later, he had another majlis of fuqaha and jurists and scholars and ulama, and they were presenting their uh, uh, research on various uh, theological issues. And there was one theologian who was dominant and he was very, subhanAllah, powerful in his speech and he did an amazing job. So he called him again and he said, I want to give you the award. And when he, gave, when he called him and asked him and gave him the award, afterwards he asked uh, Mamun Rashid, do you know who I am? Do you recognize me? He said, no, uh, this is, I have the honor of meeting you first time. He said, two years ago, uh, when I had presented in the, in the scientific uh, conference my paper, my research, you had pra- praised me and encouraged me and he said, you know, you're so intelligent, how can you not be a Muslim? You need to go and study. So uh, after that, it really stuck with me, your words, and I said, you know, the Khalifa is, it praised my intelligence and he said that, how can I not be a Muslim? So let me actually try to f- study. So since I approach everything in a logical manner, uh, I said that, the, the true religion will be the one that its scripture is preserved because the religion is based on its holy scripture, on its text. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like He gave me a beautiful tongue and a great mind, He also gave me a beautiful hand. Hand meaning writing. So He had beautiful handwriting and uh, He wrote with his calligraphy a very beautiful copy of the Torah. But what did He do? He intentionally made mistakes in it. And he changed some of the words, many words in fact, and came up with wrong sentences. And then he went to the synagogue and showed it to the rabbi. So the rabbi opened it, looked at the scrolls and he said, Oh my God, this is such a fabulous copy. We don't have one like this in our synagogue. We will buy it at the highest price possible. Please sell it to us. We would love to purchase this. This will be a great uh, addition for our synagogue. We need this. So he said, okay, yeah, sure. Then he sold it and he took the money home. And he said, okay, cross that out. Right. So then he went to the, he wrote the same thing with the Injil and he went to the priests and uh, the churches, Kanisa. And he went to the Kanisa, the church, and they looked at it, they said, this is an amazing uh, copy, so beautifully written. And again, they purchased it, despite all the mistakes. Then he went to the masjid and he called the imam, I found where's the imam's up, and he went to the imam and showed it to him. He opened it, looked at it, and he said, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-alilazim. And he said, This thing you need to uh, respectfully dispose of this because it has some Quran in it, but has other nonsense mixed in it. And this is, This is needs to be immediately, you know, you need to uh, dispose of this. De ink it and then recycle it as they do nowadays or bury it in a place that no one will walk over it. Go in the middle of some national park and bury it. So he, uh, he said, wow, how, why? This is beautiful work. I, I worked so hard in preparing this copy. They said that, he, the imam said, there is uh, things, additions in this Quran. And this is subhanAllah. So then he realized, he said, this is the scripture which is preserved. And then he started studying the Quran and he became an alim, very fast, advanced course. And then in two years, then he was presenting the fiqh in the court of Mamun al-Rashid. 
so this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has protected the Quran. We had the opportunity that when you, we were students, we went to Cape Town. In Cape Town, there's a Masjid al-Awwal, the first Masjid that was built by the Malaysian um, Mujahidun, freedom fighters who were fighting against the Dutch colonizers. And then those Mashaikh and ulama were uh, imprisoned from there and they were put in exile in the, the outpost of Cape Town. Uh, which was a small little outpost in the middle of the jungle in the, uh, in the 1600s, a uh, long time ago. And um, when they were there, they were fierce Mujahideen fighters, but they were chained and they were jailed and they were prisoned. And then there was an army of the British coming to attack the Dutch fort. So they were few in number and the, and the, and the invading army was bigger. So then they thought to themselves that we have all of these fierce fighters that are in chains. And you know, if they could help us, then it would be a good idea. This is uh, such a tragic situation that we are outnumbered by the enemy and the best fighters possible, they are in chains. So then they went to them, the guards and the wardens, they went to their own prisoners and they said that, can you help us? Uh, so <laughs> they said, they had an opportunity, they had the leverage, they could have asked for anything, but they said that, we only ask from you one thing, is that you are prohibiting us from performing salah, and you are prohibiting us from building a masjid. If you allow us to build a masjid and to make our ibadah, then we will fight with you. Fighting is a risky business. You could die or, or, or as well, kill or be killed. So they said, okay, fine, we'll grant you the opportunity to build your masjid. That's, that's the most important thing you want? Fine, we'll grant it to you. So they fought with them and they repulsed the British attack. They were victorious. Then they built a masjid, known as Al-Masjid Al-Awwal, the first masjid. And they did not have all of the uh, instruments to do the proper qibla, uh, um, to find the, determine the correct qibla, because they were prisoners in a foreign land. So the way they built the masjid is a little bit off of the qibla. So when you go and pray in the masjid, there's a mihrab, but the sufuf are not straight. It's like when we buy churches uh, that are already zoned for church religious purposes, the non-profit and then the county is not going to get taxed for that and you don't have to go for a public hearing and rezoning. That's why in case you don't know, that's the reason that we buy the churches. So when, when you buy a church and make it into a masjid, right, what happens? Have you, the, the lines are, the sufuf are not straight. So that's how it is. Even though it's a purpose-built purpose masjid, but the sufuf are not straight because the qibla is off. And when you go inside, there is a glass case in the lobby. And inside the glass case, there is one of the Mujahideen scholars, ulama of Malaysia, who was in exile, and from memory, he wrote the entire Quran. And that original manuscript is there. Everyone can see it. It's in a glass case in the lobby. The whole Quran that he wrote from memory, far away from his homeland. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preserved the Quran. And then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves on and it says that these people keep on asking for miracles. They want to see this, how come, you know, how do we know you're, you're speaking the truth, Ya Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The mushrikun of Makkah, Allah Ta'ala said, look, if I open up a door in, in the heavens for them. The heavens means not the, the, the sky here, not the clouds. This whole universe that we know is beneath the sama'ud dunya, beyond that is the first sky. And the second sky, third sky, fourth sky, fifth sky, sixth sky, seventh sky, kursi, arsh. And the ratio of each sky to the sky above it, kalqatami fil maidan, like a small ring in a huge field. The first sky is like a small little ring compared to second. Second is like a small ring compared to third, third to fourth, fourth to fifth, fifth to sixth, sixth to seventh. Subhanallah. That is how vast the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And we are a small little human being. Like if you go on Google Earth and you look at a little human, you know, you zoom out, 
So we are a little human being and sitting in Lombard and then our Lombard, our home is, you know, the city of Lombard and then county of DuPage and state of Illinois and Midwest United States, United States, North America, planet Earth, solar system, keep on going, galaxies, then first guy, second, you know, where are we? خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفَ We are a very weak human being. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَمْشِي فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَحَا And tonight we heard that in Surah Bani Israel. Do not walk on the earth in a haughty manner, so arrogant. What do you think you are? If you stomp your feet, you cannot tear open the earth. And why are you walking with your head so high? Can you be taller than the mountains? Be humble, O insan. There was a time when no one even knew who you were. Right? So who, who knows the name of their great-grandson today? All right. Or maybe there's seniors here. Great-great-grandson. Right? We have no idea who they are. Right? So subhanAllah, there's a time where our great-great-father... Or our grand, great grandfather, he doesn't even know about us. Anything we're gonna do. So, in any case, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says He opened a door all the way in the first sky, second sky, third sky. We're talking about going real high at this point. They are transported. Now, they don't even have like a one-time tour, one-time option. There's a vallu. Vallu means continually, whenever they want. On demand, you can go up. Uruj from Mi'raj. You can, you can, you know, there's a salat is Mi'raj and Mu'min. This is the Mi'raj of the Kafir. You can go physically all the way up. As you wish, you can go up into the skies and see everything was going on. Go up to the fourth sky, see the Baytul Ma'mur, see the 70,000 Malaika doing tawaf every day, never get a chance again. Only single entry visa. So you can go all the way up and whenever you want. You know what? And they see everything, are they gonna believe? You know what they're gonna say? They're gonna say, Oh Muhammad, you have cast a spell on our eyes. You have done jadu on us. Why? Because they don't want to believe. There's no doubt that they have. The clear evident signs uh, for those who want to accept the truth. No one can deny that these are the ayat of Allah except for those who are diehard kufar and they're bent on their kufar. So it is not because of any doubt, it's because uh, they, are, um, they are persisting in their kufar because they are bent on their kufar. They have their own agenda. They, that is why they are not believing, not because of any doubt that they have. Moving forward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He mentioned this beautiful ayah that Rasulullah passed by some people that were laughing very loud. They were laughing. He said, Are you laughing so much in the fires in front of you? Nabi left them and went forward. When he came by the Hijr of Ismail, which is the Hatim. When he came by the Hatim, by the Kaaba, there's a construction zone. Like you have the cones, construction. Likewise, with the mushrikeen of Makkah, when Nabi Wasallam was 30 years of age, 10 years prior to his prophethood, they rebuilt the Kaaba because it had fallen down, the walls, and they, had, they only had enough halal funds for a certain portion, and then they put the uh, construction cones. Like this semicircle area, we will complete it when we have more halal money. So then that hatim remains till today. So he went to that point, when he reached there, Allah Akbar. Then what happened? He came back to them and he said to them, Inni When I gave you this warning and I left you, Jaani Jibreel alayhi salam. 
Jibreel came to me, Fakalali said to me, Ya Muhammad, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Inna Allah yaqul, Allah is revealing to you and saying to you, Lima tuqannitu ibadi. Why are you making my slaves lose hope in me? And then this ayah was revealed. Nabbi ibadi, inform my servants, inform my slaves, Anni ana al-ghafoorur rahim. Verily, I am the forgiving, the merciful. So this is the ayah that came. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa came back and told them. And if my, my adab, someone deserves it, then it is severe indeed. Thereafter, this is the Surah Al-Hijr. There's another ayah, there's another word that we should be aware of, which is Sab' al-Mathani. What are the Sab' al-Mathani? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبْعًا مِنَ الْمَثَانِ O Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we have given you the Sab' al-Mathani, which are seven ayat that are often repeated. What are the seven ayat that are often repeated, specifically mentioned in Surah Al-Hijr? Very well-known ayat. Which ayat? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Number one, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Two, Maliki Yawmiddin. Iyakan Abdu Iyakan Asayin. Basically, Surah Al-Fatiha is seven ayat. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have granted you sab'am min al-mathani, the seven often repeated ayat. So this term, like for example, uh, Alama Alusi rahmatullahi has a tafsir, well-known tafsir. It's called Ruhul Maani fi tafsir al-Quran al-Azim wa Sab' al-Mathani. Ruhul Maani in the tafsir of the Quran and the Sab' al-Mathani. The seven often repeated ayat. So, if they're often repeated, if this, you know, as a starting point, we should at least focus on these seven ayat, understand the tafsir of it, understand deep meanings of these seven ayat. Subhanallah. Every single rakat. La salata illa bi fatihat al kitab. There is no salah without surah al fatiha. So if you are performing salah, farad, uh, sunnah, or nafal, there is always surah al fatiha. If you are performing four rakat dhuhr or two rakat jum'ah, there is surah al fatiha. If you are performing four rakat isha, surah al fatiha, four times. And if you are performing 20 rakat tarawih, then 20 times surah al fatiha. Twenty times, Surah Al-Fatiha. Nobody is skipping that in this, you know, in this era where so many different fitnas are there and people are corrupting the deen. Still, this is one thing nobody has said. You know, we get it. Naudhu billahi min zalik. And why do we have to say it twenty times? Everyone's still reciting it uh, twenty times. Oh, I mean, whoever is performing the twenty rakats is reciting it twenty times. Whoever is doing eight rakats. Eight times, ten rakats, ten times, I guess. But basically in every rakat, they are still reciting it. Yani, it's like hammered, 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 how many times hammered, and then still we don't even know what we're saying. We cannot blame anyone but ourselves. What is going on in Surah Fatiha? Wake up, we got to figure it out before it's too late. That is how important it is. Even Allah Ta'ala says, Mathani, seven ayats that are often, often repeated. You are mandated to repeat it. So please, oh my slaves... You know, uh, Allah is not saying please to us. I'm saying please, my dear brothers and sisters, let us uh, learn what's going on in Surah Al-Fatiha before it's too late. Then, as the surah concludes, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ يَضِيقُ صَدْرُكَ بِمَا يَقُولُونَ." And we know that your heart is becoming constricted, and you are feeling uh, so despondent, and you're feeling um, you're so hurt. By the allegations of these mushrikeen. Sometimes they say you're sahir, magician. Kazab, liar. Sometimes they say kahin, fortune teller. Sometimes they say majnoon, that you are crazy. And this is hurting your feelings. Allah Ta'ala is consoling Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
فسبح بحمد ربك so continue to say subhanallah walhamdulillah وكم من الساجدين and continue to be among those who make sajda وعبد ربك continue to persevere and make the ibadah of your lord حتى يأتيك اليقين until death comes so this is a consolation to Rasulullah plus a command to persevere not to give up this is a reminder for us you know in this era of Islamophobia we think oh we're the first persons to hear it. oh my god you know they're making fun of my hijab or they're making fun of my name and they're making fun of I'm brown skin or xenophobia Islamophobia phonophobia it's not a new thing right Rasulullah was attacked way worse than we were and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala consoled him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, asked him to persevere to remain steadfast so we also have to remain steadfast after that we enter into surah al-nahl nahl is the honeybee in this surah it's also called surah al-ni'am the surah of blessings Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is mentioning so many blessings that he has uh, granted us uh, and reminding us that yani, uh, please uh, yani Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminding us to worship him to love him to believe in him to trust in him because of all of his blessings beautiful blessings in detail I'll just give one example here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the beginning that he has created these animals for us from which uh, we benefit from their wool benefit from their meat benefit from their milk what a beautiful sight when the 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 horses and their herds and the beautiful animals are galloping in the valleys in the mornings and the evenings. You see the beautiful horses. Such a beautiful creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَتَحْمِلُوا أَثْقَالَكُمْ Imagine if you had to carry all your burden on your back. Right? Um, subhanAllah, one of the mashayikh was saying that our students, yani, uh, in the Quran, what do we do? We teach them, you know, you hold your Quran, your sipara, who's going to the maktab, he holds it like this, holds it to his chest. And then the secular school, you know what they do? They take all their books and they put it on their back. Right? So uh, the, we, we, hold, we hold our Quran like this, tight to the chest. When we go to the little kid going to the maktab, he has the Al-Qaeda with him, or the Al-Qaeda, Nurania. He holds it like this, close to his chest. The, the para, sipara, the juice, the Quran, if he's a hip student, he holds it like this. And the students of Hadith, they hold the book like this. And what about uh, you know, the dunya we put in? behind the back anyway so if you had to carry all your burden yourself to far off cities that you're traveling how much weight could you carry it would be very hard for you now these animals you put all the load on their back and they're carrying it for you now look how merciful Allah is Subhanallah. Allah is the one who subjugated this animal the one that we are riding he has subjugated for us by default, uh, if there is an animal that you're riding, you are riding the animal, then the animal that you're riding is going to be what? Bigger than you, and it's going to be more powerful than you. That's why you're riding it, right? If it was weaker than you, how, how would you ride it, right? So like the son, he can ride the back of the father, on the neck of the father. The father, he cannot ride on the back of the son. Otherwise, it will be, you know, a uh, little problem. You have to go to the ER, Father will be in big legal troubles if he does that, right? So, um, the animal by default is bigger. The markab is bigger than the rakib. The conveyance is bigger than the one who's riding. Sakhara, and if he's stronger than you, then why is he listening to you? Why doesn't he trample you? 
Sakharalana, Allah has subjugated them for your khidmah, subhanAllah. And then if anyone says that, you know, we're just talking about animals, you know, this is past industrial revolution occurred, where you've been? You don't know if you have other modes of conveyance. Allah Ta'ala speaks about that too. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wal the horses, wal bigala, the mules, which are half horse, half donkey, right? Wal khayla, the horse, wal bigal, the hybrid, wal hamir, and the donkeys. All three are mentioned. Litarkabuha, you ride them, wazina, in a source of beauty for you. And he will create more modes of conveyance that you do not know. So, so the, the trains and the planes and the boats and the ships, and the nuclear powered ones and you know, the diesel ones and the coal fired ones and the steam ones and the planes and the combustion engine and the electric Tesla, right? All of them. And he will create that which you do not know. So, one thing I find interesting here is that all of these mufassirin, when they come to you here, they say, this point they say, oh see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to all of the future modes of transport that we now have. Because the sahaba could not understand it. Because they were the initial recipients of the wahi, Allah is saying, oh, he will create that which you do not know. And then they always stop there. But this mala ta'alamun, and he will create that which you do not know, it's not, and then why are we limiting you do not know to sahaba? Will not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create things that we do not know as well? Because do you think innovation has stopped? What will happen in, in 2030? Allah <laughs> What will happen in 2050, 2080, 20, uh, you know, three, next century? There may be all kinds of strange forms of new, uh, new and, uh, advances in transportation that we are unaware of. That you sit in your home and you know, it starts flying and, and then it goes underwater, under, uh, above ground, or in the air, and over water. Allah Automatic. Right? We are we're already having these self-drive cars. So who knows what the future holds. So this ayah doesn't... The last part of the ayah, that he will create that which you do not know, it doesn't only apply to the past. It also applies to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us of his favors. Now, if we enjoy the blessings and forget who gave the blessings to us, this would be the height of ingratitude on our part. Moving forward, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yeah, he talks about... In fact, we should not uh, skip the ayah about the Nahal. Because this is Surah Al-Nahal. Nahal meaning? Honeybee. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحَلِ أَوْحَى أَوْحَى يُوحِي means to give wahi. So, one is the wahi the Anbiya received. But the same verb is used here, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divinely inspired the honeybee. Uh, with respect to how it makes his hive, with respect to how it collects the pollen, with respect to how it creates the honey. But one particular part of the life cycle of the honey or the honeybee, or not rather life cycle, but rather its activities that it has, Allah Ta'ala speaks about its, how it travels, how it flies. Fasluki subula rabbik. Travel those pathways in the air as has been determined by your Rabb. Subula rabbik. You know, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has defined for the honeybee the pathways that it flies. And uh, the zoologists and those who are studying the insects and the animals, they have done so much research that um, the honeybee, yani, when it's flying in the air, it doesn't just haphazardly fly from one flower to another flower and from here to there and to collect it and go back to its hive. It actually has set flight paths. Just like the planes. It's recently been in the air, the FFA is you know, in trouble because what's going on? All these different near accidents are happening. Right? In the control towers, they're not paying attention. 
and they reduce the number of hours they're working so that they're alert. Yet uh, there were some near crashes happening recently. But uh, in general, what happens with the planes, like when you're driving on a road, it's pretty obvious you got to stick to the road. You can maximum go on the shoulder, but you're not going to start off-roading. So you're traveling on the road, you travel on the path, on the road. But imagine you're flying in the air. So where's the path in the air? Did you ever think about it? You just, if you flight from whatever, Chicago to Toronto, for example. So if you're going from Chicago to Toronto, you can go anywhere. Just free bird, like fly. No, you can't. You, the planes have a set flight pattern. How did the flight path? How did they determine that flight path? They, we learned that from the honeybee. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, the honeybee. Like the birds, for example. They don't have a set flight path, but the honeybee. The way it went all the way, it flies in the same exact place, uh, on same route back. Uh, Three-dimensional, same route. Meaning same altitude, same height, uh, in exact same location. It, the same pattern it flies, same path it flies back to its hive. Who is guiding it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is guiding it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about that in the Quran, in Surah Al-Nahal. This is an opportunity for us to reflect. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about one of the uh, problems and sick uh, issues of the, of the mushrikun. That they would come up with ajib aqaid. One of their aqaid, the Christians, everyone know that they say that Isa ibn Allah, Isa is son of God. But the mushrikun, many people may not be aware, they had this ajib aqidah that al-malaikatu banatullah, the angels are the daughters of Allah. Like, I mean, what's the point of that? Why are you coming up with ajib aqidahs like this? But they actually believed that malaika are the daughters of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses them. and says, وَيَتَعَلُونَ لِلَّهِ الْبَنَاتِ They want to ascribe daughters to Allah. What? And uh, subhanahu, he's pure from such having any daughters or sons. But what's even more strange about this or even worse is that if they are assigned to Allah children, they are assigning daughters. And daughters are a great blessing just like sons are a great blessing. Both are blessings. Allah Ta'ala says, يَهَبُ inatha." He grants some daughters. He mentioned that first. Then He says, وَيَهَبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ الذُّكُورِ He grants some of us sons. Or he grants daughters and sons both. And he makes some people barren having no children. He mentions four categories. So Allah Ta'ala mentions daughters first. Now these people from their aqidah perspective, daughters are a disgrace and humiliation. Because uh, their, their condition, their hal is such that when any one of them is given a glad tiding that they had a birth of a daughter, his face turns black with anger. He's holding it in. And he starts hiding from the people. He's so embarrassed, he doesn't want to go in front of the people. Because of the evil news that he received, the bad news. Now he is in deep contemplation. He has two options. Should he continue to keep this girl and bear the humiliation of that? Or should he bury her alive in the sands of the de- in the desert sand? Evil indeed is uh, these people how they are judging between these two matters. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala speaks about the maqam of girls in the Quran, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala when He is speaking about epic. Um, 
calamities and the destruction of the universe at the time when the trumpet will be blown uh, we're talking about at the level of the cosmos the whole universe so when the sun will be torn apart the earth and the mountains are flying like uh, clouds and they are smashed into dust the ocean is engulfed in flames as the H2O molecules are being separated and in this whole context look at these like gigantic things we're talking about we're talking about oh my god the universe is coming to an end literally the universe is being destroyed in that same context Allah Ta'ala said and the girl who is buried alive she will be asked which crime did you commit that you were killed so meaning that is uh, equivalent or even greater tragedy so this is the maqam and the position Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given women in Islam starting from when they are a girl Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that whoever raises a daughter uh, he started off by saying two daughters then Sahaba said what about one daughter thank Allah for the one who asked that question Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said okay the one who raised one daughter addabaha fa'ahsana ta'adibaha he teaches her adab and teaches her beautiful adab and allamaha fa'ahsana ta'adibaha educates her education of the girls is Mentioned by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, those who are banning education. If there is some situation where it's difficult, you should mention because of that and solve the problem. And we know what we're talking about, right? There's a government in the name of Islam that is banning education of girls. So, and you just say girls' education is banned in the whole country, and it's not like college girls and. High you know, if there's a problem with the curriculum, change the curriculum. I understand. We just heard about it after four o'clock. I almost had a heart attack. Like, what's going to happen to my kids? <laughs> I mean, it's not a laughing matter. It's actually reality. Like, so bad. We just heard of four o'clock. Right? Everyone's heart should have been shaking with fear. But, uh, so, yeah, I understand that. So that's for boys too. Problem with boys and girls. Change the curriculum. You have, you have the whole government now. Right? You control the whole government. So change the curriculum, change the syllabus, change the situation. You know, uh, if you're worried about separation, Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala's fadal, Allah's fadal, Allah's fadal only, we have separation right here in Darussalam. So have the boys separate, have the girls separate. If you find any boy in the girl's side, then, you know, whatever, whip him if you need to, right? Uh, but uh, frankly, but how can you just say all girls' education, the whole country is banned? And, you, 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 and then you present that as Islam. And so Rasulullah said, Adaba who teaches her adab, Allama teaches her, edu- educates her, and then marries her off to a good spouse, uh, husband. Then inshaAllah, kana ma'ifil jannah, he'll be with me in jannah, just like these two fingers. Referring to his, uh, his index finger and the middle finger together, and he said, it will be close together like this. So this is the maqam of a raising a girl then when she comes the wife khayarukum khayarukum li ahli the best amongst you are those who are best to their wives wa khayarukum li ahli i'm best to my wife and thereafter she becomes a mother al jannatu tahta aqdamil ummaha jannah lies under the feet of the mothers subhanallah so then after that uh, allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues on six um, i just selected a few ayats today so that it's easier we can go quickly from one to the next uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَلَا غزلا. This was interesting because uh, we can learn uh, from any incident around us any condition around us even uh, 
sick individual, mentally sick in an asylum, majnuna, majnoon, crazy woman who is locked up in a mental hospital. There's still a lesson to learn. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a tashbih, an example. وَلَا تَكُونُوا Don't be like كَالَّتِي نَقَضَتْ غَزَّلَهَا مِنْ بَعْدِ قُوَّةٍ أَنْكَاثَ So there was one well-known mad woman who was mentally lost it. She had psychosis, she has schizophrenia. She's talking to people that don't exist. And what did she used to do? نَقَضَتْ غَزَّلَهَا مِنْ بَعْدِ قُوَّةٍ أَنْكَاثَ That she would work really hard with a lot of labor all day and she would be knitting. And she would knit, knit, and she would make a, a garment that was near completion by the end of the day. But by the end of the day, what happened? Because of her madness, she would say, no, it's not right. Maybe she had OCD. It's not perfect. Obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever the case was, she would say, she didn't like it, and then she would tear it apart. Shred it back to uh, the raw material. Then the next day, she would start trying to knit it again. Then she would shred it, knit it again, shred it. So Allah Ta'ala says, you are wasting all your efforts and not giving any conclusion like this majnuna mad woman. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also, he would give a lesson wherever he would go. There was a donkey that died and it was, its carcass was rotting and it was stinking so bad. It was a disgusting sight and smell. And uh, the Nabi Sallallahu was passing by and he said, May yashtari hadha, who's going to buy this? So Sahaba got shocked, like, this is nasty, let's get away from here. Why do you, who's going to want to buy this? Nabi Sallallahu said, no, uh, who wants to buy it? Then he said, you know, you want to, you hate this thing? Likewise, he said, is the dunya, a daniya, is so radil, and you are all competing with one another to buy this. Even if this was given free to somebody, it would be, uh, liability to get rid of it nobody wants it so why are you chasing after the material dunya dunya jifa talibuha kilab it's like the dead meat those who are running after it are like dogs talibuha kilab they're like dogs na'udhu billah may Allah protect us from that then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions we talked about men and women this is a very beautiful ayah man amila salihan whoever does righteous deeds min dhakarin awuntha min dhakarin awuntha whether male or female Provided he has iman or she has iman. We'll grant them a very beautiful worldly life. This hayatan tayyiba is not referring to Jannatul Firdos or Jannatul Adan. Or this is referring to dunya. Allah will grant a life of contentment, happiness, success. After going through the mujahada phase. First there is a mujahada phase, then there is a contentment phase. And how do we know this regarding the dunya? Because afterwards Allah says, Then in the hereafter we'll give them even greater reward. So this, this ayatun tayyibah is referring to this worldly life. And, and uh, there is the ayah here, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِتَاءِ ذِلْ قُرْبَى وَإِنْهَا عَنِ الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغْيَ عِذَكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ And then fill in the gaps. <laughs> right. So where do we hear this? Second khutbah. Why do we always hear this? Why do the khatib always says, Inna Allah ya'mur bil adil wal ihsan wa ita'idhin qurba wa inha'an al-fahshai wal munkari wal bagi'idhukum la'alakum zakarun wa naskurullah al-aliyya al-azim yathkurukum wa dhu'u yisdib lakum wa ladhikurullah ta'ala a'la wa awla wa azzu wa jallu wa tammu wa hammu wa a'adhu wa akbar wallahi alma tasna'oon wa aqeemu salah So yesterday, we, the two days ago, we had to repeat two rakat. Imagine we had to repeat 20 rakat. Start over. Restart function. That would be... Uh, Great opportunity. <laughs> okay. Or this, uh, so anyway, 
This ayah is from the time of Umar bin Abdul Aziz, he mandated the fifth rightly guided Khalifa. He said, All the Khadibs in the entire kingdom, uh, Khilafah Islamiyah, every Khatib must recite this ayah in the Jummah Khutbah. He mandated it from then. Why? Because Abdullah bin Mas'ud said that this is ayah, uh, this is the most comprehensive ayah in the whole Quran. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu, he had a lot of knowledge of the Qur'an. He, he in fact, he said, uh, SubhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala said, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثِ The blessings of your Lord, you should count him. So, he said, تَحَدِيثًا بِنِعْمَةً Declaring the favor of Allah upon me, وَاللَّهِ مَا نَزَلَتْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ آيَةً There is not a single ayah has been revealed in the Qur'an, إِلَّا وَأَنَا أَعْلَمُ أَيْنَ نَزَلَتْ Except I know where it was revealed, and I know the condition behind its revelation. If I knew anyone in the world that has more knowledge about Quran than me, then I would undertake the journey to learn from him. And he is saying this is the most comprehensive ayah in the Quran. So Allah Ta'ala is commanding for adal and ihsan in ta'id al-qurba. There is a tafsir. There's three things he commands and three things he prohibits. Moving forward towards the end of the surah now, we're concluding. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, mentions about one incident where the mushrikeen would come up with another objection that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam sometimes would go in the Mount Safa and he would sit with one Christian slave, right? Mushrikeen of Makkah, they were mushrikeen, they were no Christians, they were indigenous population. Any Christian means he's an outsider. So this was a Christian slave. His name was Jabr al-Rumi. Jabr the Rumi, Roman. And he could barely speak Arabic. Ajami al-Lisan. He was a Ajami. What does Ajam mean in the Arabic language? Ajam means mute, who cannot speak. Because no matter how you think you have a great civilization, great language, from the Arab perspective, they used to say, this is Ajami. He cannot speak. Like Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Irhamu al Have mercy on these animals that are mu'ajam. They are mute. They cannot argue their case in the court and say that, oh judge, this master has abused me. So he cannot speak, right? That's why it's difficult for the veterinarians and the pediatricians. Because they can't talk to their patient and say, you know, please tell me where it's hurting. Right? So, <laughs> so there's a difficult job for the veterinarian and the pediatrician. So the neonatologist, can you ask the baby, you know, uh, tell me how it feels here, how it feels there? No. You got to figure it out uh, through your own diagnosis. And so anyway, so these animals cannot speak and that's the word Ajam. So over here, this was, he was also Ajami. He could not speak Arabic, but he was Roman and he had a Christian, Christian background. Nabi Wasallam sometimes would sit with him because he's sitting with everyone. All day he's, uh, he is swimming. Swimming is such an action that, you know, you always have to be aware and there is a particular technique. If you stop, even if you're floating and you just completely relax, just like you're not in the water, but in your water bed. You relax. <laughs> then what happens? You go down. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah Ta'ala said, You have to be swimming in the masses. Meaning always in the fikr of da'wah ilallah. Just like a swimmer is always swimming, likewise you're always uh, giving da'wah ilallah. So he would sit with him. Now these people, these mushrikeen, they said, Oh, see, he's sitting with him. We know that these mushrikeen are saying that that human being that you're sitting with, Bashar, he is teaching you the Quran. The tongue, the language 
of that Jabar Rumi is Ajami. He doesn't speak Arabic properly, barely. And this Quran, it is clear, eloquent, powerful Arabic language. How can you come up with such a nonsensical allegation? It does not make sense. Allah is rejecting it. Subhanallah. And then there, uh, if someone is compelled in, war, in bad circumstances, there is a relaxation for him. There was one family. Sumayya Radana, the mother, is the first shaheed. And her husband, Yasir Radana, is the second shaheed. And their son, Ammar bin Yasir, when he was being tortured, he ended up saying the kalima of kufr to save his life. And then the sahaba, he, he saved himself. The sahaba thought that he lost his iman. And he said, oh, he became a kafir, he's a murtad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah. إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَا وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنُّمْ بِالْإِيمَانِ The one who is compelled and he, and he ends up saying kalima of kufr, it is, he is exempted. His ima, because قَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنُّمْ بِالْإِيمَانِ His heart is filled with iman. So if somebody uh, puts a gun, na'udhu billah, to anyone's head, he says, you know, say a kalima of kufr, otherwise I'll blow your brains out. So at that point, he has two options. If he does not say the kalima of kufr, it says, La ilaha illallah, right there he'll become shaheed. He'll say, oh, I'm so gunagar, I'm so sinful, I got an opportunity that if I say, Ashhadu la ilaha illallah, and I die, I'll become shaheed. But if somebody ends up saying kalima of kufr, then he will not become a murtad. His, all his good deeds will not be cancelled. His nikah will not break. His haji will not have to repeat. All his amal will be intact. Which otherwise would have happened if he would have become Murtad. So this is an exemption for the one who is under compelling circumstances. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a reminder. Look, if you have a city, there was a city in the past, it had peace, stability, law and order. The provision and food is coming in from all sides. But instead of being thankful, they were ungrateful for the blessings of Allah. Allah made them taste fear and hunger. So in America, we have peace and security by and large. We have food by and large. People are, are, not, are dying from obesity-related diseases, not from malnutrition, mostly. So we are, have a lot of food and we have a lot of... We have generally, we have safety, alhamdulillah. Com- compared to other places where there's indiscriminate shelling, there's wars taking place, there's suicide attackers, there's um, bombardment, aerial bombardment, all of this civil wars... Outside invaders, this is what's happening in other places. Alhamdulillah, we are safe. There's some crime here and there. But if we are not going to be grateful for these blessings, then the fact that we are safe now, the fact that we have food now, is no guarantee that it will continue in the future. Because if we are ungrateful, Allah can bring joy and khawf, hunger and fear upon us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from that. And the last conclusion of this juz of the 14th, and we'll start with Surah Bani Israel tomorrow, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about a very, very beloved servant of his, Inna Ibrahim kana ummatan. Ibrahim al-Islam was one individual, kana ummah, but he was like an entire ummah. He did so many things, and this is an opportunity to open up and talk about his life, but we don't have the time now. Kana ummah, qanitan lillahi hanifa, walam yakum minal mushrikeen, shakiran li'anumi. Allah is praising him, goes on, a couple ayats praising Ibrahim al-Islam. So it's worth looking into Every time when we're in salah, we say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Ali Muhammad, kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala Ali Ibrahim. If Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the father figure for this ummah, then Ibrahim alayhi sallam is the grandfather figure for this ummah. وَاتَّبِعُوا مِلَّةَ أَبِيكُمْ Ibrahim. Follow the way of your forefather, Ibrahim. Whether lineage-wise he's your forefather for the Arab and the Yahud, 
And deeny-wise, he's our forefather for everyone else. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to follow the footsteps of Ibrahim alayhi salam and make us among those who truly benefit from all the ayat of the Qur'an. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.